Well, good morning. Um, I'm pretty excited this morning. Um, before I call uh, Craig and Amy up to the stage, I just want to uh, say thank you to the church for your for your prayers through this process. And I want to say thank you to uh, the members of the search committee and the time that they they put into it and, and to the board. Um, but most of all, I really want to say thank you to God because I really believe that in this process, he's been doing things in us and he's been doing uh, things in, in Craig and Amy. And really it's, it's him who, uh, who brings us uh, together here. So I'm gonna call uh, Craig and Amy up and um, I'm sure we're gonna get to know more about Craig a little bit in his sermon, but just to give us maybe just a little bit about your family and, uh, and your ministry before we get into that, and then I'm going to ask uh, Gary to come up and we'll, we'll pray. Why don't you start this family? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Amy, and we're excited to be here today to see what God has for us next. Um, Family-wise, we have two kids, and they are all moved out. So uh, the youngest... <laughs> <laughs> The youngest one just got married uh, September long weekend, and he's settled in PA with his new wife, and uh, he works at a cabinet shop, PA. And our daughter is uh, in Regina, and she works at Living Hope Church as children's ministry director. She just started in September. So uh, we had a, a big move out this fall for everybody. So, so now we can uh, see what's left <laughs> and what we need to deal with. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Our daughter-in-law, uh, for those that love coffee, you'll be jealous of this. She works at Starbucks. <laughs> Did you know you get five free cups of coffee every shift at Starbucks? And a free pound of coffee or a box of tea every week? That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, even she says that's a lot. Uh, Ministry-wise, um, it's almost 30 years now since Amy and I got married, and within one month of getting married, we started uh, ministry together. I was, have served as a youth pastor. Uh, we were out in BC to start with, uh, west in the uh, Fraser Valley, did nine years of youth ministry, and then came back to Saskatchewan. I served as a solo senior pastor in a small community up north called Carrot River, and uh, yes, I believe there's someone in this community who's from there. I haven't checked with him yet, but I think we know him from when he was a little bit shorter than he is now. And uh, then after Carrot River, uh, we spent a year in Saskatoon, and then for the last 13 years, I've been in Prince Albert, where I've been serving as a worship and music pastor. And if you're thinking, don't we know someone from Prince Albert? Yeah, you know Rick. <laughs> but also, yes, that is where Pastor Mark went when he left Estevan. I've had the privilege of serving with him. We've got to know their family over the last uh, just about 10 years now that they've been there. And so it's a joy. So that's kind of where we come from. Uh, Gary? Gary's going to join us up here, and, and we're just going to uh, pray for you. Father, we just come, Lord, and we thank you for the journey, Lord. Uh, we thank you for the journey for us all. And, Lord, and we just want to keep going in faith and your direction, Lord for Craig, for Amy, for Esteban Alliance Church, Lord. So we just, again, allow your spirit, Lord, just to uh, penetrate, Lord, and uh, just work through Craig this morning. Just uh, may you uh, allow him to share what you've laid on his heart. And we do thank you for this couple, and we thank you for the family. 
Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for those prayers, the blessings, and thank you for welcoming us into your community, into your church family. Uh, I can honestly say that until the first time Amy and I visited here, which was just a few weeks ago, neither of us had ever set foot in this fair city. I thought we were going down south, so I expected warm weather. It's only like minus 30 in Prince Albert right now, so it's warm weather. This is great. Thanks, you know. No, it's, it is great to be here. You know, I want to assure you that not only have people been praying here, and I appreciate your prayers for the process and for your church, but know that there are literally people around the world that have been praying for Estevan Alliance Church and for their search for a pastor, and specifically as, as Amy and I have become involved in that discernment process. Uh, we have a church family, that many of which know that we are candidating this week. It hasn't actually been announced yet, but they'll, they'll find out soon enough. But many do, do know and have been praying. But it's interesting, this morning I received text messages from as far away as China of a friend who was saying, praying for you this morning. And so just so cool to see. And the cool thing about having a prayer partner in China, that gives you 24-hour prayer coverage because they're like 14 hours ahead, so we're going to bed, and they're just starting the day, so they pick up the baton. It's awesome. But no, it is cool to see the way God works. You know, candidating sermons are a weird beast. I mean, no pressure at all. I get one sermon, that's it, and then the board makes their decision. And I am very grateful that God's the one that's in control of all this because, uh, well, if it was up to me, man, this would would drive me nuts. Well, thanks, Rick. I would have got that eventually, but thank you. Uh, You'll see what that's for in just a moment. But, you know, here we are candidating, and you don't really know me, and I don't really know you. And so I thought this morning I would entitle the sermon, These Are a Few of My Favorite Things. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Okay, yeah. Any sound of music lovers here? My hand is going down. Okay, sorry, sorry. Sorry, don't take it personally. Me and musicals, we don't get along. I figure you dance, you act, or you sing, but... Really, come on, the worst, one of my pet peeves is, you know, you get a musical, you're in the midst of this intense fight scene, you know, kind of thing, and just about to stab somebody, I'm going to kill you, it's like, oh, brother, don't sing it, just do it, give me a break, you know, or they start dancing, you know, it's like, really? But I do come from a family where, where we are known to burst into song at moment's notice, we one time, my daughter and Amy and I sang at a music festival, and we finished this piece, and the adjudicator comes up, and, and she goes, you know, it's not really realistic to think that families will just burst into song, is it? And we're looking at each other going, yeah, right, we do it all the time kind of thing, you know. Why did I get onto that? These are a few of my favorite things, that's why. You've already learned about, about our family, you've learned where we've, where we've served and stuff. A few random facts about me, I am Saskatchewan boy through and through but do not hold it against me. I have an Ontario birth certificate. But I only lived there for eight weeks, and then my parents moved to Regina, so really it didn't impact impact me that much, I don't think, you know. Um, And uh, what else can I say about myself? Well, I, I I do enjoy biking. But lest you picture me with long hair and leather on a Harley, no, no, skinny tires, I'm what's called a mammal, middle-aged man in Lycra. Road bike, pedaling down the highway, that's me. Uh, what else can I say about myself? I, uh, I, I also enjoy cross-country skiing. That's something that I enjoy doing. Although, I've got to say, it's a lot more fun in the bush. 
Not sure what we're going to do here. We'll work on that. Plant a bunch of trees before we come, okay? That'd be great. Just, just give me a cross-country ski trail. That'd be awesome. Of course, my grandchildren would be the ones to be able to enjoy that, but uh, trees don't grow that quick in our part of the world. I also uh, enjoy running. I'm one of these crazy people that actually enjoys running outdoors in winter. I know it's a mental obsession. I don't ride my road, road bike outdoors in winter. I draw the line there, but uh, what else can I tell you about myself? You know, you need to know that I love Jesus. You get to know me, that's just a reality. That's just part of who I am. There's no getting around it. Jesus is a part of everything that I do, and I love that. It's something else, I love people. I love being around people. I get energy from being around people. You know, there's different kinds of people. Some, some people are absolutely exhausted when they're in crowds, and other people get energy when they're in crowds. I'm, I'm kind of more of that get the energy from people. Although I must be getting older because I've learned to appreciate solitude and silence. I don't know. I'm just getting older. That's what it is. I keep telling my kids I may be getting older, but I refuse to grow up. My daughter reinforced that for me when I turned 50, and she gave me a, a little cup holder, thing, a coaster to go on the table, and it says, if you haven't grown up by the time you're 50, you don't have to. And to which I said, amen. Thank you. I, uh, it, it's a good thing, though, that I love people, because having been called to pastoral ministry, that's kind of a big part of pastoral ministry is being with people. But as a result, I've also grown to love church. Now, when I say the church, some might look around at the building and go, oh, so he likes our building. That's cool. That's just the name that we give to this place where the church meets. The church isn't really the building. The church is people. The church is people gathering together. And you know, while this may be the Estevan Alliance Church, and this is the group of people that gather in this building and have that name, we're part of the same church denominationally part of Prince Albert Alliance Church. And we may gather together in different locations, but we are together as brothers and sisters. But the church is even bigger than that. As I drive around Estevan, I see a lot of buildings with a sign above them that says church. And that tells me that this morning, there are people gathering all over this city in different locations to worship, to study, to serve, to fellowship together, to grow in their walk with God. And you know, really, Together, we all form the church. But it is a joy that God has called me to serve in a specific congregation with a church family, and I've had the privilege of doing that now for almost 30 years. Makes me feel really old when I say that. I remember when I started in pastoral ministry, and I'd meet somebody, and they'd say, I've been a pastor for 20 years, and I'd go, oh, you're ancient. Now I say it's almost 30 years, and I look in the mirror, and I go, oh, you're ancient. But God's good. And this morning, I want to share a few thoughts of Scripture from a passage that happens to be my favorite passage. And as, as, as I go through this, you'll learn a bit about me and kind of what's important and what it means to really have a relationship with Christ. But it's, it's found in Psalm chapter 46. And I invite you to follow along. If you've got your Bibles, grab them, or your smart device, if that's what you read along. If you don't have one, I notice there's Bibles in the pew. If you want to grab one and follow along in that, that's great. The book of Psalms is... Pretty well right in the middle of the Bible. If you're not sure where it is, just open that thing up to the middle and you'll probably end up in Psalms. And we're at chapter 46. And I want to just read it through. A psalm that gives us promise. It gives us hope. But it also gives us instruction. So Psalm chapter 46. God is our refuge and strength. 
an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river. Oops, I lost my place. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I got a question. Does anybody here read Hebrew? No. Okay. Nor do I. But you know, I'm grateful for people that do and that have done studies and provide resource materials for us to be able to study God's Word and understand the original languages that it was written in, in Hebrew and Greek and some in Aramaic. And you know, when I look at this passage, the first word jumps out at me. And I think perhaps it's the most important word in the entire passage. The word is God. And I say it's the most important word because in Hebrew, the name of God that's used there is Elohim. Elohim means the supreme one. You know, throughout Scripture, there are a lot of different names that are used for God. And each one gives us a little different understanding of who He is. But this chapter starts out by saying, God, the Supreme One. This is the God that intimately knows you and me. In fact, this is the God who created you and me. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. This is who we're talking about. And it is important to remember that because we live in a society that wants us to believe that there are so many different gods and some would even say, it doesn't really matter what you believe because they're all a path to the same truth. But we start by laying the foundation. God, the supreme one, the one and only God. But there's another character in this passage. It's you and me. God is our refuge and strength. You know, this is not just a passage that teaches us about God. It's talking about the relationship that we can have with him. It says throughout this, this passage in verse 2, it uses the word we. Verse 7 11 talks about us. Hey, that sounds like a slurpee. Verse 7 11. Verses 7 and 11 talks about us and our relationship with us. And lest you think this is stretching it a bit to say that this has something to do with a personal relationship, you know in the verse where it says, be still and know that I am God, that word know in Hebrew is yada. 
it means to be in intimate relationship with. In fact, it is the word that is used throughout the Old Testament when a passage will say that a man knew his wife. That's yada, intimate sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. Now, that does not mean our relationship with God is sexual in any way, shape, or form, but it shows us how personal and intimate our relationship is with God. That's what this passage is talking about. But there's another word in between those two that I think is kind of important, too. It doesn't say God might be our refuge and strength. It doesn't say God could be our refuge and strength. It doesn't say, hypothetically speaking, it's a statement of fact. God is our refuge and strength. It is a promise. It is a statement of truth. In fact, in the Hebrew, is our refuge is one word. It takes three English words to, tr to translate it, to define it. It's a statement of fact. There's no question about it. So what does it say? God is our Four words that define God. Refuge. Strength. What's the third one? Help. And there's one other we've got to look a little bit further down in verses 7 and in verse 11. We see God as our fortress. What do those words mean? If I say to you, you look pretty strong. We, we, have a, we know what that means, right? I mean, okay, let's, let me help. You're looking a little confused. Maybe, maybe we don't know what that means. Okay, let's picture there's a weightlifting bench up here. And a really strong person is laying down on this bench. And they're about to bench press like a bazillion pounds, okay? Like more than is humanly possible. And they're like, Rrr! the bar is bending and they're lifting it. And you're going, oh, are they ever strong? They have the ability to lift that, that strength, the ability to do something. But now what happens when they get halfway up and all of a sudden it's like, oh no! Somebody has to come along and offer their strength to lift it up so it doesn't fall down on their chest and crush them. That person has just offered them help. Strength is the ability to do something Help is what we are given or what we give to others when we are not able to do something. And it describes God as being both our strength and our help. But then there's these other two words, which I can honestly say I don't think I have ever used to describe another person. Have you ever walked up to somebody and said, hey, you're looking pretty fortressy today? No. And yet, it's used to describe our relationship with God. What does it mean? Let's start with refuge. Refuge throughout the Old Testament refers to a rocky place. One, one preacher that I heard uh, preaching on this one time described it in this way. He said, imagine being out on the sea and a storm comes up and you're in a small boat. And you know if you don't get to a place of safety, this boat is going down and you're going down with it. And so you pull in close to the shore and you're scouring the shoreline for a cove where you can get in behind the rocks and be protected and sheltered from the storm that's going on. You're in a place 
of refuge. It's that safe place in the midst of the storm. Now, a fortress takes it a step further. In, in Old Testament times, pretty well every walled city would have what they called a fortress. Really, if we looked at it, we'd call it a tower. But probably if we went there and said, hey, that's a nice tower you got, they'd say, no, no, that's, that's our fortress. I got corrected for naming some things wrong yesterday about Estevan. I'm going to have to learn these things. Apparently, it's not smoke that comes out of the power plant. I didn't know. It looks like smoke to me. The smokestacks, you know. But, you know, use the wrong words. But they wouldn't call it a tower. They'd call it a fortress. And the fortress was the place where when the city was under attack, they would first of all take the women and children and send them into the fortress and close the doors so they could be in behind this brick wall and climb up above all the fighting that was going on and be safe. And in extreme situations, if the army had to retreat, they also would retreat into the fortress. But kings took it a step further. A year ago, Amy and I had opportunity to go and visit Israel. We went on a tour, and one of the places that we visited was a place called Masada. Masada is a fortress that King Herod the Great built. Now, King Herod had all kinds of these fortresses built all over his kingdom. And the thing that they were there for was, so if he was ever out and about and he gets attacked, he can flee to one of these fortresses that he's got ready, and he'll be safe. Now, it wasn't just a little tower. The fortress at Masada is on top of a huge column of rock. In order to get up there, it takes an hour and a half of walking this little goat path that scrambles its way up the side to get up there, or you pay a couple dollars and you take a cable car. Guess which one I took? Cable car. I guarantee you, the cable car was not built by Herod the Great. There was no cable car then. The only way up was the footpath. And what would happen is if the king was out and about and was attacked, they would get to one of these, these fortified cities, these fortresses. They would get in there. They would close the gates and the doors, and they would be in a place where they would be protected. But the fortress was more than just a place of protection. It also was a place that was stockpiled with food, with water, with medicine, with munitions, so that they could live up there for an extended period of time and have the resources that they needed to remain safe in the midst of a battle that's going on when the enemy could have surrounded them and put them at siege. Hold on to those images because these are the descriptions of what God is like in our relationship. If you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, at this rate, Pastor Craig's going to be preaching for about four hours because there's 11 verses in this whole chapter. We're going to focus mainly on verse 1 and 2 because really, that's the main point. The rest of the chapter gives illustrations, gives teaching, but the main point is these first two verses. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea. That word, therefore, it's a connector. It's saying, because verse 1 is true, this is the outcome. Now, another question that you can respond on. You know, it's a chance for me to get to know you as well, you know. So, uh, anybody here ever been in an earthquake? 
oh, we've got a few. Wow. Okay. Then you'll be able to relate to this. For those that haven't, let me paint a picture. Because I actually had the opportunity to be in an earthquake. Our daughter was born, got a little weak kneed, head a little lighted, lightheaded. That was not the earthquake. That was just the reality in, in the delivery room. A few days later, we're sitting in the hospital, and I'm sitting on a chair, and I remember all of a sudden feeling chairs moving. This is kind of weird, and I'm looking around, I'm going, my back's to the wall, Amy's over there, there is nobody else in the room, and all of a sudden I'm looking around and realizing, whoa, like the walls are moving at a different speed than my chair is. And I looked at Amy, and I remember saying, is this an earthquake? Uh, I, I think this is an earthquake. Are we supposed to do something like get in the doorway or get under a bed or something? And before we had time to figure out what we were actually supposed to do, it shows how well we'd prepared ourselves for an earthquake, even though we lived out in the West Coast where they, they can't happen, you know. I didn't know what to do. But then all of a sudden it stopped. Now, I got to tell you, that was one of the most unnerving experiences I've ever had. I don't mind being on things shaking and rattling. I love roller coasters, okay? I, I, I go nuts over roller coasters. And my favorite kind of roller coasters are the really old wooden ones. The kinds that just kind of... And it feels like the car is going to blow off. And there's no harness over top of you. It's just a little bar across your lap. And it's like, look, I could stand up in this thing. Oh, that was kind of silly, you know? But the thing with a roller coaster ride is you know when it starts, you know when it stops, and you know, at least if you're in North America, there's some kind of safety standards around. There's probably a good chance that if you get onto it alive, you're going to come off of it alive. You may be a little greener, but you're going to be alive, okay? In an earthquake, you have no idea when it's starting. You have no idea when it's stopping. There's no controls humanly possible with an earthquake. It is just shaking, and it is unnerving. Well, what's the description in verse 2? It's not just a little tremor felt out in B.C. No. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and mountains quake with their surging. We're talking cataclysmic natural events. We're talking sides of mountains being blown out by volcanoes. We're talking huge cracks and fissures being formed in the earth by earthquakes. We're talking hurricane force winds and the oceans being wet, swept up into a fury. And yet in the midst of that, the psalmist says, I will not be Have you ever felt like your world was literally being torn apart? Have you ever felt like the, the highlights, the mountains in your life were just being shattered? Like everything you were working for was just completely falling apart? Is it natural in a time like that to go, I don't feel any fear. Not for me, it's not. If, if that's your case, boy, I want to talk to you. Or maybe you're putting into practice this sermon a lot better than I am. But, you know, the reality is 
that we all experience fear. Now, first of all, I just want to say fear in and of itself is not bad. Fear is an emotion we've got. God made us as emotional human beings. To be afraid of things is a part of protection that God has put us in place. It's natural that we should feel afraid. But when that fear starts to control us, that's when the problem comes in. And when we're in circumstances where it feels like our world is falling apart and what is controlling our lives is our anxieties and our fears, that's kind of a natural response. Now, I am grateful that this psalm goes on because it gives us some pointers as to how is it that we can experience this. And you might think to yourself, so what does this have to do with me? Well, I don't know every one of you personally. And even if I did, I wouldn't know all the details of your lives. But I guarantee that within the next year, you will encounter some struggles. And I don't say that because of where you live or decisions that have been made that are beyond your control or economic realities or anything like that. I say that because I know the people of Estevan are human beings. Wait a minute. You are, aren't you? Okay. Anybody who's not a human being, please? Nobody jumped at that. Oh, man, you can really mess with the pastor. With you. I gave you your chance. Sorry. No, we're all humans, and we live in a fallen, sinful world, which means there will be struggles. In this world, we will have troubles. But the psalm goes on to help us to see what are the steps we can take in order to experience God as our refuge, our strength, our help, our fortress. Jump down to verse 8. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. Jump down to verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. You know, just before we came on the platform, we sang a song that had the line in it, I'm thankful for the scars. You know, the scriptures teach us that we are to give thanks in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us that. Ephesians chapter 5 actually takes it a step further and tells us that we should always be giving thanks for everything in the name of Jesus. You know, and at first, that just seems absolutely bizarre. My world is falling apart, and you're telling me, God, that I should be giving thanks for this circumstance? And lots of times, I have preached, and I've heard people focus more on the First Thessalonians passage and say, well, it doesn't say give thanks for the yucky stuff. It says give thanks in the, thir- in, in the yucky stuff. But Ephesians takes it that step further and actually says we should give thanks for. Did you catch the next line in the song? I'm thankful for the scars because it's through them I see who you are. You know, it is very hard sometimes when life is falling apart to give thanks. And sometimes we have to intentionally focus back in history. And we can say, God, thanks for that time back there when I went through that struggle and you worked. Really what we're doing is come and see what the Lord has done. 
And if we are willing to still ourselves and quiet our hearts before God, then we can allow him to show us, oh, and, and thanks also, God, for the work that you did here. And thanks for this time here, because I see through that time you were at work. And thanks for this. And as we start to give thanks for what God has done, if we are willing to quiet our hearts before him, he will begin to soften our hearts to the point where it is much easier to say, you know, I still trust that you are Elohim, the supreme one, that you are the God who is my refuge, my strength, my help, my fortress. But you know, unfortunately, we live in a society that does not make this very easy for us because we tend to view things in a two-dimensional way. We tend to look at all of our circumstances in life and we tend to have this scale that we draw and at the top is everything is good, and at the bottom is everything is not. We could call it strength and weakness. You know, we say, oh, yeah, things are going good with my friends. I got strong relationships with my friends right now. Or, no, I'm kind of having some struggles in relationships right now. We're kind of at a weak place. And we tend to, to do that. Or we, could, we can look at finances and we go, oh yeah, financially everything's going good. I'm at a strong place. Or no, it's not going that good. I'm at a weak place. And this isn't just a one or the other. It's a scale. And so in every area of life, we can evaluate kind of where we are at. A strong place, a weak place. A good place, a bad place. Emotionally, how we're doing. With friends, how we're doing. In our family, how we're doing. In our workplace, how we're doing. Spiritually, how we're doing. And every one of these, we evaluate. And that is a good thing. But you know, it's so easy to look at a passage such as Psalm 46, and when we find ourselves down here where we are feeling weak, we say, oh, God, get me out of this circumstance and back into this circumstance. That is what I need you to do. And we tend to focus on God as being our rescue rather than our refuge. Did you notice those descriptions? When the boat goes in behind the rocks in the harbor, does the storm go away? No, the storm keeps going. When the king goes up into the fortress, does the enemy army go away? No, the battle's still going on. In fact, what does it say? God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help when in times of trouble. The reality is we will go through experiences where this is where we are at. Now, I need to point something out because we sang a song early in the service that says, he's my rescuer. It's not bad theology because that song is talking about what God does at the moment that we experience his love and forgiveness and he rescues us from the power of sin and the control that sin and darkness has over our lives. But when we're talking circumstantial, God does not promise to get us out of this and put us back in this. What he promises is that in the midst, I will be with you. I will be your refuge, strength, your help, your fortress. 
I will not only be that safe place, but I will be the provider of the resources that you need to stay safe in the midst of the struggles. But that's not what society wants us to think, is it? It's society, and this was brought up in, our, in the adult Sunday school class this morning, how we tend to glorify strength. And our society goes, if you're in, weak, in a time of weakness, you got to fix it so that you get back at a time of strength. That's what you do. And we put the emphasis on, I need to make the plans. What does society say? If life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Figure out a plan. Fix it. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. But you know, I think what Scripture teaches is that we need another line up here. Because no matter where we are in any area of life, I'll move this part so everybody can see it. We, we thought we'd get this up on the screen and then realize someone had to climb a ladder all the way up to the projector to hook it up. We went, no, 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 I'll, I'll do it good old-fashioned. The whiteboard works just fine. No matter where we are in life, in every circumstance that we find ourselves in, you and I have a choice to make. This line represents... Who will I rely on? What does society say? Rely on me. We admire and we look up to people. We call them heroes who in the midst of adversity were able to dig deep and put together the plan and were able to move from a time of adversity to a time of, of what's the opposite of adversity? Good times. Because they put the plan together. But you know, that's not what Scripture teaches Scripture teaches us, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Scripture says, I can do all things. How? Through Christ, who gives me strength. Just this morning in Sunday school, the text was brought up where it talks about, there's no temptation uh, common to man that is Jesus, except what is common to man, and he will be faithful. i got to read it. I'm totally butchering that. The Craig Holland's paraphrase just is not working this morning. Where's that? First Corinthians 10 here. Graham, I should have you read it. You should have it memorized. You taught it this morning. No pressure there. First Corinthians 10. Where are we here? Thank you. And I'm in 2 Corinthians going, this doesn't look right at all. There it is. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. End the verse there. That's on this side of the line, isn't it? He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But then it goes on and it says, He will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Oh, God's the one that provides the way out. It's reliance on Him. You know, unfortunately, we all as human beings tend to live life on a line that looks like that. When things are going tough, it's easy to rely on God because I can't do anything about this situation, so I call out on God. But when things start going, go going good, you ever find it's easier to start relying on yourself? I see a few heads nodding. Good, I'm not the only one who struggles with this. 
Why is it that when people are in struggles and times of trouble, they find it so easy to say, will you pray for me? But when things are going good, they never ask us to pray for them. Why is it that when nations, when they become under attack, all of a sudden are calling out to their people, pray, pray, pray. But when things are going good for the nation, they praise their military might and their strategies that they've got and the political environment that they live in. We tend to focus on ourselves when it's good, but when it gets bad, we cry out to someone else, and often that someone else ends up being God. But that's not the way God wants us to live. If we are truly going to experience God as our refuge, our strength, our help in times of trouble, as our fortress, that comes as a result of choosing to live life over here of relying on God at all times. And so in those circumstances, when things are going good, it's choosing to acknowledge that I am going to rely and trust on you. What does God, what does God desire of us? Trust and obey. I'm reminded of a hymn that I, we used to sing when I was a kid. Probably at that time it was called a chorus because it wasn't old enough to be a hymn, but now it's old enough that I call it a hymn. But trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I'm not sure the theology is quite, quite right about always being happy in Jesus because, you know, happiness is an emotion and we can get to a whole other sermon. But how do we live in a right relationship with God? How do we experience that peace that passes understanding? How do we experience Him as our refuge, our strength, our health in times of trouble? We trust obey him. Now you might think to yourself, well that's great pastor, you've studied this, you've figured this out, that's a good, good sermon. Thanks. But you don't know what my life's like. You're right. I don't. But as I already said, I know you're human. And I know that all of us as humans go through struggles. You know, we've shared a bit of our story. We, we've shared a bit about how we've got two kids. We didn't tell you that we've got lost three children before we had the two that we've got. I told you about serving in, in Carrot River and then serving in, in Prince Albert. What I didn't tell you was that the year in between, I had to take a year out of ministry for medical leave because I went through burnout. I didn't handle the stresses of ministry well. And I had to go through a time of grappling with, God, am I ever going to be able to pastor again? What is my job? What is my role in life? All those struggles. How are we going to live if I'm not working? I told you about 13 years of serving in Prince Albert. Didn't tell you that two of those years, I was on medical leave undergoing cancer treatments. I have what's called multiple myeloma. It's a, can a blood cancer. And I went through radiation. Then I went through chemo. Then I had a stem cell transplant. Then I had chemo. And then I had more radiation. And if you're not familiar with a stem cell transplant, I describe it this way. Let's get this guy as close to death as possible without killing him. It's not a pleasant thing at all. Over the last two years. Both my father-in-law and my father passed away within nine months of each other. Neither was expected. And then to add to the stress of life, both of our mothers within six weeks of each other decided to move out of the homes that they were living in into independent living. And so our house is full of stuff that came from their houses too. Oh yeah, we got to deal with that before we move. Come to think of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't, I don't, I don't share those things to, to make you feel sorry for me in any way as that, but just to point out, I've had, I've had my share of struggles too. And you know, it's through those times of struggles that I can honestly say, because I have chosen to trust and to rely on God, 
I have experienced him as my refuge, as my strength, as my help. In the times when I did not have the strength to carry out things, he has been the one who has helped and has provided help through others. In the times when the battles were going on, in the times when I felt the weakest going through cancer treatments, God was the most real to me. And that was what I needed, the resource that I needed to remain strong in him and strong spiritually, even though physically I was very, very weak. God is our refuge, strength, and ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountain fall into the sea. Encouragement I want to give to us all is simply a question. What are you relying on? And you can answer that for all the different circumstances in life. Because it's it's, it, in reality, it's possible to rely on God in one area of life and rely on myself and another at the same time. You know, the cool thing about this is we sang about God being our rescuer and how he has paid the price for our sins. When we experience God's love and forgiveness, we begin the relationship with Jesus. But do you know what we're actually doing when we begin a relationship with Jesus? We're saying, God, I cannot. The scripture tells us that it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It's reaching a point of saying, I cannot do anything to earn your favor, God, but I know that you love me and that you have provided a way for my sins to be forgiven. And I choose to trust in you. That is an amazing gift of grace. A gift that we don't deserve. As we draw this to a close, I want to provide us with an opportunity just simply to reflect on what has been said. I want to ask the worship team to come on up and they're going to lead us in a song at the end as well. But before they lead us in that song, I would like to invite us to bow our heads and just in the quietness of your heart, take a few moments with God and allow God to show you if there are areas in your life that you're relying on yourself. And to give those over to God and say, God, I choose to trust you. And you know, unfortunately, later on this week, God might tap his, tap his finger on your shoulder and go, Ah, oh, you picked that up again. Oh, sorry, God. Bring it back to you. We keep doing that. But before we draw this service to a close, let's just take a moment and allow God to speak.